I'm the Property Funder, better known as Michael Dean, and this is the Property Funder podcast. I'm a successful entrepreneur, investor, NED and advisor. As co-founder of Avermore Capital, I'm best known for having financed over a billion pounds of property developments and investments by value during my career so far. During my time in business, I've come across an incredibly broad spectrum of successful people all with their own unique experiences working in a variety of industries. I want to speak to these people and learn more about them. I'm not looking to have the world's biggest podcast, so if just one person benefits from what my guests have to say, then that to me would look like success. And if you are that one person, then you should probably not tell anyone about this. Uh, welcome to the Property Funder podcast, and uh, we're here, here today with Phil. Um, before we start talking to Phil, just a reminder, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. I uh, hope you enjoy it. The For those of you who are returning listeners and you're not subscribers, please make sure that you're either subscribed to YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And in doing so, you're enabled to support the podcast and make sure that we can keep interviewing and talking to interesting guests such as Phil, who we have today. Now, Phil, what's your full name? Name your business and please describe what your business does. Hi, my name is uh, Phil Gray. Uh, I'm the managing director of What's Commercial Finance. Apologies for the lights then. Uh, we put these lights in that will save the planet, but where they didn't uh, plan on Zoom and Teams calls. So if you don't move enough, the lights go off. Um, but my name is Phil Gray, Managing Director at What's Commercial Finance, and we're a whole market commercial finance brokerage based in the northwest, but covering the whole of the UK. Brilliant. Now, Phil, um, I, I, off camera, I described you as one of the titans of the specialist finance industry, which you, uh, you know, in your sort of typical modest fashion said no. But I think most of our listeners who who know this base will, would agree with that. But, can we talk about can we talk about your journey as to how you got from kind of being a young lad to yeah. to, to to where you are now um you know with this you know large premier you know one of the premier whole of market lending businesses in the UK uh yeah it was um quick good well i think it probably at 17 i was either going to play rugby or be a police officer uh and then uh, you um you sort of play the cards that life deals you don't you so uh, 17 I got injured put an end to me playing rugby put an end to me joining the police and I sat with my dad and said what can I do and I was always really good at business I always remember when I was a kid I uh, I got my dad to buy me a shed for Christmas one year and which I had as a den um, in the garden and I used to camp with my friends in my shed, my shed and then when I got to the age that it was uh, it was too childish to camp in the garden with your friends I sold the shed to dad um, <laughs> you know, so for dad to use as a traditional garden shed and I think that was probably my very first deal I ever did. Um, and Dad always laughs to this day, saying, I bought you a shed. You used it for two years, then you sold it to me for more than I paid for it. <laughs> um, so uh, joined the bank um, as the T-boy in Chester in 1990, Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, and I guess I was quite lucky because it was the time when sales was becoming fashionable. Um, and 
um, the banks had sort of cottoned onto the fact that they needed to sell. So they used to put me out in the banking hall as this cheeky scouse chap um, to talk to our customers, um, which I always loved because I'm an Everton fan. And in those days, Pat Nevin, who was a famous football, Scottish footballer at the time, used to pop in and see us. So I'd sit in the banking hall on a Friday afternoon chatting away to Pat about the football, which was uh, sort of perfect for a young chap. Um, but anyway, <laughs> sales became fashionable in the bank. And that was 1990. By 1996, I was one of the youngest managers in the country for Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, and that's really when my passion for um, business finance and business uh, helping businesses came. Um, I had a fantastic late 90s, early noughties at the bank. Um, and as I say, that's really when having done a bit of everything in the bank, personal mortgages, commercial, business, etc. That was when I decided and really sort of honed my talents on what I enjoyed doing. Um, so then that sort of led us to 2006 um, when uh, when we launched What's Commercial Finance, which crazily, where I'll be today, the 4th of September on the 11th of September, so in seven days' time, we'll be 17 years old, which, wow, where did that go? Um, but basically, I mean, I, you know, I had an amazing upbringing in the bank. Um, you know, if I talk about having two childhoods, one childhood at home with my mum and dad, which was idyllic, and then a childhood in my career with Royal Bank of Scotland, and it was when RBS were at the heyday. I think if you cut me in half now, the sticker rock will probably say more what's commercial than RBS, but we'll still be a little bit of RBS running through that center of that sticker rock and I had a fantastic time there I learned my, my trade and you know that's undoubtedly gone on to help um what's commercial be what it is today so what what prompted the decision to set up what's like what what was the what was the key driving force and 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 who was it just yourself that set up what's or was it was there a, a crew of you that that kind of went from RBS to to go and set up what's no, I mean, what's, what inspired me to do it was in those days, um, and I have to be, sometimes when I'm, in, I'm doing this speech in the north of England or the south of England, I either talk about a cigarette packet or a beer mat. But um, basically, there was a lot of brokers in those days that used to tear off the edge of a cigarette packet, write a telephone number on, pass that over, and that was a lead, and they expected paying for it. And I used to think that, that there's an opportunity here to do this job properly and to add real value for the clients to add real value for the lenders and to actually make the commercial broker almost like the third profession sitting alongside the accountants and the solicitors. Yeah. So I had a real passion for wanting to, to do the job properly. So that was what inspired me to do it. Um, I guess the entrepreneur in me was sort of starting to bubble at that age as well. I was in my early 30s and I guess you get to that stage when you realise that I guess a little bit like we're you know, the people in North Korea all think that they win the World Cup and they invented the Big Mac. Um, you know, when you t the banks have, have you believe that, you know, there's what 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 world actually exists on the other side. And the entrepreneur in me wanted to have a look. Um, so I joined forces with my business partner, Andrew, um, and um, we launched what on a day to day basis with just me. Um, so it started with me uh, on my own and Andrew supporting me in the background. And it's now me and I'm sort of a, I'm a simple lad from Birkenhead. I've run out of fingers and toes now, but we're about 46 headcount today. And that will be um, 50 by the turn of the year. Um, and so, yeah, so on the 11th of September, and obviously I think because I was that caught up on the date that I was leaving the bank because it was such a momentous occasion leaving Royal Bank of Scotland, 
or at NatWest, I'd, I'd moved brands at the time and after the, the takeover, um, that I never actually start, stopped to look at what the date was that we went live. I was more focused on the date I was leaving the bank. So on the 11th of September, I sat there in, in the office and um, that was that was it. The, the Royal Bank, um, Watts Commercial Finance was born. Um, crazily, we did nine deals in our first week because the a lot of the IFAs and mortgage brokers who used to use me at the bank um, continued to use me. And you used the word at the beginning there about humble. And I think I have always been very humble. And I never, I never sort of naivety, I guess, was that I never imagined that all of these IFAs and these mortgage brokers would follow. And when I spoke to them in the weeks after launch, they said, look, why wouldn't we follow? Because we used to send you all our business when you were at the bank because you were a nice lad. You rang us back when you said you would. More often than not, you got the client a deal and you looked after our customers. But we had no idea whether Royal Bank of Scotland was the right deal for the client. But we just used you. Now, you're still a nice lad. You'll still ring us back when you when you, when you you say you will. You'll look after the customer and get them a deal. But now you've got the ability to go to the whole of the market. So it was quite, we had a very rapid start um, to, the, to the Watts commercial journey because all of our introducers came with us and supported us in the early days. I'd crazily gone out and done my sort of CMAP qualification thinking that if commercial was quiet in those early days, I might be able to turn my hand to a little bit of residential lending. The CMAP folder, it is actually still in my cupboard on the other side of the office, but I never did it, never, never. I passed the test at the driving test centre, but that's it. It's got 17 years worth of dust on it now. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, so that was how it all started. So. Uh, September the 11th, 2006, I sat in the office with a blank piece of paper, um, a telephone and a computer, and I launched Watts. It clearly, to, in your first week to do so many transactions, you were trusted, you were clearly trusted by the people that introduced business to you previously yeah. uh, when you were at the bank. So you clearly done, you, you'd done, you'd left a very strong impression on them. I mean, I, I think ultimately, it's it, it's not a huge secret that you know, I, I talk about it with I I I, always, I, I bore everyone even more silly when we when we're talking about sales. In that, it's like what are what are we selling as a lender? It's not a fun, you it yes the end product is a financial service, but what we're actually selling at, at its heart is you're selling trust. And yeah. I think the same and and it, I think very much same applies to yourself as well. You know, your those people that introduce business to you. They they clearly have to trust you, and they, they, so they, so you must have left them with an incredibly um, strong impression that they were willing to follow you, um, you know, follow you into your into your next role. Yeah, we um, use a word we use a word here at Watts. Wow, and as I always say to the new managers and to the existing managers, is that every time you leave a client, or every time you leave an introducer, or every time you leave a new lender, they need to be thinking, wow. How have we ever managed without that person and without what's commercial finance? Uh, and if you create that wow factor and then you follow it through, um, as you said, and, and create trust, um, then, you know, once you've got trust, as long as you don't throw it away or damage it, then, you know, it's it's a powerful position to be in. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can only place the case, you can only place the case once, right, in, in, invariably. It's not like going to the supermarket where you can buy you know, let's say, let's use crisps as an example. You can't get, it's not like you can go and get ready salt and salt and vinegar from various different brands. It's, it, you you have one choice. And so yeah. you've got to, you've got to stand out. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's clearly, that's clearly, and that's clearly something you were successful at. Um, so let's, let's roll it through though, because 2006, 
obviously economy property market was you know riding on a high um how were the next i guess the next three or four years for for you and what's because you're going into a going into a very different world yeah what what uh you know 12 18 well 12 18 24 months i mean two years up pretty much to the day two years after you started the business you have lehman brothers yeah but in between you had northern rock you had the credit crunch yep. so how how was that you know talk us through like that experience and 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 the evolution of the journey and that that and those early stages because i guess in many ways they were those would have been the most difficult and most challenging times that that the business would have had um crazily no um but let me talk i'll, I'll answer the question um okay i sort of had 13, 14 months of fun. And then, uh, I don't know how, but I've ended up, my best friend in the world um, used to be very uh, high up at Ernst & Young and in Treasury. And I went to his house in November 2007. And he sat with me, put a put a glass of wine in my hand um, after a long journey down to Marlow. And he said to me, I've had lunch today with Mervyn King. Um, we're going to have a recession worth of the 20s and RBS are going to go bust. And I was a bit like, wow, I've had sort of this 11, 12, 13 month honeymoon of launching Watts. And now I'm being told this by somebody who I trust implicitly. So uh, the following day, I always, whenever we go down to see them, I always like a little mooch around Covent Garden. I think you could hear my chin hitting every cobble as we walked around. Um, probably a week or two later, I sat on the beach uh, in Abersock in North Wales, where my wife and I and my family spend a lot of time. And Probably had a little cry to Alison saying, what have we done? Um, and, you know, bless her, she said to me, listen, we've got each other. We've got our health. Um, if it all goes wrong, we go again. And that was probably the, the lowest moment. And from that point forward, um, I also remember one of the nice things that's come out of the last 17 years is an amazing friendship with Chris Bagley at Together. And Chris and I sat in 2007 and said, listen, we'll be fine. And when we come out of the other side, we'll be stronger. And as a result, it was crazy. I don't think throughout the credit crunch, it, the position in the part of the market that we're in, because we're not we're not a corporate finance boutique. We're not doing three, four, five hundred million pound transactions. We're a brokerage working with the SME, the average guy or girl in the street who who is running their business, lifestyle businesses. Um, and the other thing that Keith, my friend at Ernst and Young, said was that you'll be fine because the one thing, the message that keeps coming out of the city is that the butcher, the baker and the candlestick makers got to keep trading. And he was right. Um, and year on year, we grew through the credit crunch. There was never a shortage of money. It was just what people were prepared to pay. And we managed to grow the business year on year on year throughout the credit crunch. And actually, in hindsight, when we look back now, there was it, it, it didn't it, it didn't it, it didn't affect the business at all. Um, it probably hardened us. It was probably a great lesson in business. Um, and it, you know, it made us think on our feet and it made us a little bit more agile and we learned. But, you know, when, if I look at the accounts from those years, turnover was up, profit was up year on year. We recruited year on year. We grew the business year on year. Um, and, you know, if anything, it was a great lesson because since then we've had Brexit, we've had COVID. COVID was probably the biggest one. Um, but the credit crunch prepared us well for that and um, allowed us to, you know, adopt 
you know, the same sort of mentality to get through COVID that got us through the credit crunch. So interesting times. Um, I think it taught me a lot, a lot as a business person. Um, and it and it toughened us up a little bit because you are right, in 2006, early 2007, it was like shelling peas. Um, but perhaps a little bit, um, you know, that, that short, sharp shock shook the market a little bit. And I guess it, 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 it separated the wheat from the chaff. Would you say in some ways, actually, the global, the, you know, the sort of credit crunch, the global financial crisis, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that that was almost the making of the broker and introducer market that we know today? That that because particular, I suppose the reason for for asking the question is because I, I, I always left the impression that if you were a client of a bank, it was almost it. The money was almost too free and easy where I, I, I knew a guy who he was buy, he'd buy a building and he'd send a text to his relationship manager at, uh, I think, Dunbar. Yeah. He's like, I need five million quid in this listers account tomorrow. Tomorrow. Can you get it to me? And it, and the money would appear. And yeah. just the, the concept around that, obviously knowing a little bit about how how the lending process works today. And um, the concept that that's even a, could even be a thing just blows my mind. It's yeah. uh, it, it, and and I, and I imagine that for for those for those borrowers who had a relationship with a bank like RBS that obviously covers the whole of the market to have to have to have to, for it to be so easy to get money it was probably almost more difficult for a broker to justify their existence whereas when the money stopped being easy from those types of players then you know the very accessible players we'll be talking about the high street. All of a sudden, the broker you have the, the broker has a real opportunity to add value, um, you know, and sort of cut their cloth. I mean, do you agree with that, or you know, is 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 is, is, is it, or disagree with it, or is it somewhere in between? Yeah, no, I think I, I know I agree with it. I think the credit crunch and then the FCA taking over the commercial finance market almost validated the market. You know, the credit crunch got rid of a lot of, you know, want to be brokers or people that played in it, um, and what you got left. Uh, you know, left as you came out of that were, were credible businesses that were adding real value to the market. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess like anything, um, the, the, the broker role since 2006, 2007 has grown and, you know, a bit, you know, I would year on year, a greater percentage of the SME funding in the UK is done via brokers and intermediaries as opposed to direct to the lenders. Um, so I, I actually think the credit crunch was great for our industry um, because, you know, it, it, it brought credibility um, to our industry um, because the, the, the people that were left were, were adding real value, were, were, were valued by the lenders, were valued by the clients. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I look back on it as, don't get me wrong, I, I wouldn't wish another one on us, but I learned a lot. It, it was it was good for my business. It was good for me at the point of the journey I was in. I had to think on my feet. I had to, um, you know, be more agile. Um, and it wasn't just like, you know, I guess being a, a checkout person at a supermarket where there was just a never ending um, supply of, you know, clients coming to check out. You had to actually, you know, go out and win the business and be more entrepreneurial, which there's nothing wrong with that. And I think the lessons we learned then have helped us when, when it went a little quiet during Brexit. It's helped us when it went a little bit quiet when, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine. It's helped us now that we've got interest rates, et cetera. Uh, and the interest rates rising, and it definitely helped us throughout COVID. So all these good things are, they're life lessons, aren't they? 
Um, you know, it's uh, so we uh, we learned from it um, very well. And um, apologies, that's just my light again. Don't worry. About um, it. But um, I'll go back on in a second. Thank <laughs> you. Um, and yeah, so uh, I, you know, I look back on it as a as a great period through Watts's history. We grew year on year. We recruited staff year on year. We didn't half learn some great business lessons. Um, and you know, knowledge is power. So learning is is fantastic. Yeah, and um, clearly, you know, clearly the the lessons that you've learned have have left you in good stead. Um, obviously, you talk about you've talked about these various cri- various crises. Um, I'm sort of struck with, you know, one of the questions I are, I've written down is, I guess, the sort of niche versus whole of market um, lending business. And clearly, if you're, if, you know, there's obviously pros and cons to, to being in both, uh, to being, being in both. But presumably, one of the, the key benefits of being whole of market is that if the property, you know, let's talk about, you know, let's say if we talk about buy to let in a moment, uh, or, you know, development lending bridge bridging lending um those are areas that are you know those are areas where there's less customer demand at the moment but then if you've got if you can offer invoice financing if you can you know commercial term is obviously very active because a lot of people have to have refinancing events um you know i guess residential as well keeps things ticking over you know what what's your views on someone who's you know a, a smaller broker whether you know in the direction that they might think be thinking about going in um at the moment maybe they aren't you know they are niche and very specialized in one particular area um would you would your advice to them to be to and you know i'm sure i'm, I'm sure you don't want to get, give them too much advice so that they're they're stealing your dinner but you know what was your advice to them to them be would it be to stick to being niche or, or would you say actually the 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 strengths of being whole of market or actually look there's a there's a, a place for for both types of business um i don't mind giving a bit of my dinner away um i i mentor a number of young brokers um who are i guess ultimately in competition but i've got to the grand old age of i'll be 52 in november and you know it, it's it's nice to be able to give something back to a marketplace that's given me a lot over the last 17 years and hopefully will continue to do so um I, I was once described by BNC as a super broker. Last time I looked, I didn't have my underpants on over my trousers. <laughs> um, when I launched, I'd love to sit here and say that it was a very defined plan. I launched, I was used to being a bank manager. I was used to helping clients with whatever product or service they needed. The only real product that we bolted on uh, when we launched What's Commercial was bridging because in the banking world, bridging wasn't really a product or a service that they offered. Um, so I guess we've always been, a, a, I guess, use the word niche, I've always called us a general practitioner as opposed to a consultant. Um, and for those of the listeners who are old enough to remember graphic equalizers on a hi-fi, um, uh, that's how I very much describe it as one, one area peaks, another one troughs, and so on. So we've got seven key disciplines here or products ranges that, or, or solutions that we offer. Um, and I like that. Um, that general practitioner role. So my uh, advice, uh, and if this is very generic, it would be, yeah, well, if I had my time again, would I do it exactly as we've done it? Yes, I would remain as a general practitioner. I wouldn't pigeonhole myself in one particular area. I've seen a few of my managers since September of last year and with the interest rates changing because their their business models are very 
heavily slanted towards the buy-to-let investment world, they've they've had a tough six or seven months um, because you know that that area has been affected. Whereas my, my managers who are more general commercial haven't had a problem with interest rates because customers you know put their life on hold for two years through COVID. Then we've got the war in Ukraine. Now we've got interest rates, etc., uh, etc. Et These businesses can't keep hanging on forever, and cost of funds is just a cost of business, a little bit like their electricity mm. going up. So those customers have just continued to lend, um, and we've not seen a drop off in our application figures as a result of the interest rates going up. Albeit some of the managers who are a little bit more investment property led have. So if I had the time all over again. I'd be a general practitioner every day of the week, every day of the week. Yeah, I, I think that that probably makes a probably makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, the, certainly the the feedback I'm getting is that brokers that are very, you know, sort of bridging bridging focused are are are, are probably struggling more than those who've got more spring, strings to their bow. And the ones that have got, you know, the ability, like you said, you know, even at a smaller scale, um, people that I'm close to. <coughs> that they've got the option to say the commercial term the commercial term is 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 still busy because there's still events that uh, the people still have events they still have refinancing that they need to they need to see through and so it keeps yeah. the volume going even if they don't and and then the guys who've got um that do the regulated lending you know that's that's just nice it, it's it's nice bread and butter that just keeps things ticking over um you know I think maybe, a great maybe, example is if you go back to 2006 and look at the credit crunch Commercial first at the time were lent, were very proactive in the market, you know, with with self certification sort of commercial type lending to clients who've had problems. And there were some brokers that basically that's all they did. And you know, I still remember exactly where I was when my assistant rang me up and said, you know, I think the credit crunch has begun. Commercial first have closed, and there was brokers overnight who just went out of business because that was their only product. Um, so I think you know, I, I think you know. Good. There are many brokers out there who are exceptional at what they do on our niche in terms of what they do, and they do a great job at it. I think it's just a personal choice that, you know, from my point of view, um, by being a general practitioner, one, you, your client never needs to go anywhere else. So therefore, you, you, you've got a much better chance of retaining the client. And two, I think it's a better business or stronger business model in the, you know, as things ebb and flow. Um, uh- in terms of the like, big, biggest challenge for you as a business, what, what would you say that is? I mean, I'm, I'm expecting you to say recruiting and retaining staff, but is there, is there anything else beyond that? Um, I think retaining staff's easy. I think people have forgot how to be nice to people. Um, you know, we look after our team and our re- retention's epic up in the 90s. Um, recruitment is becoming easier. I think uh, COVID created a very false world uh, and it created a world where people were entitled Um, and let's face it none of us are entitled to anything you know you get out of life what you put into it Um, I think uh, a recession over the next six or 12 months will will help a little bit in terms of resetting the clock post-covid our biggest challenge at the moment is remote management which probably isn't the answer you were looking for or you expected sorry um, it's absolutely relevant yeah I think is um, no not even from working from home because most of my guys and girls are in now um, but it's remote management in terms of our head office is in Cheshire um, and we've now got you know we've, we've got offices in 
Cardiff, Caerphilly, we're opening in Swansea, London, um, Scotland, all over. So we're recruiting all over the UK. And I guess we're having our first training, one of our first big training events next week for some of our more remote managers, um, because what they miss is that being part of the family back at the head office. Um, mm. So what our offices are full, you know, everyone comes into work. There's no spaces. I'm looking out now into the business park, car park, and there isn't a space to be had. Um, so what we're, we're trying to do now is replicate that by, by making sure that um, our managers who are remote learn and get all the benefits and all of the what's experience that a manager would have if they were more local to head office and were coming into the head office two, three, four, five times a week. Um, so that's the biggest, that'll be, a, it's an exciting challenge because going national um, is something that, you know, is, is great. It's a dream come true. Um, and it's an amazingly interesting dream because you get to experience all four corners of Great Britain. Um, we're doing a lot of work in Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, you know, everywhere. So it's it's really interesting. But obviously, we're just making sure that our team get the same what love, affection, training, support, and the benefit of experience that a, a manager who was more um, was more northwest based would get by being in the office uh, on a more day to day basis. So that's our biggest challenge: recruitment. Um, is 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 becoming easier um i guess the other challenge is interest rates but that's everyone's challenge isn't it we're going to see them start to come down in due course um but the one thing that my team and i are working on now is is making sure that all of our people who are all around the uk are feel the love and understand how important they are to us as a, as, as in the team and get the benefit of some of that day-to-day -day, you know uh, the magic rubbing off that's sometimes a little bit more difficult um, when they are, um, you know, two, three hundred miles away. Yeah, I mean, I guess you, you've always got that. Uh, you've got that challenge of uh, cultural di cultural dilution uh, that comes into play when, when people aren't, you know, aren't in the office with you. And I think that um, I think one of the things that we did reasonably well within Avonmore uh, was when everyone was reasonably remote. I don't think we lost too much of that that yeah. cultural identity and you, you know you know we talk about standards but you know you, you're not going to you're not going to have to maintain the same you know the same standards the same culture working culture if you're not all working together so being mindful of that, about the fact that you you potentially lose you, you're potentially losing something and that is is always going to be tricky i mean you i mean i was going to ask you what 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 growth looks like obviously you're talking about moving up to 50 50 headcount um and so it sounds to me like the the growth the growth in the business now is is on a regional level, um, you know without state you know maybe it's stating the obvious but um, why why do you feel like that the geographical expansion is something that you need that you feel you need to do um, when I suppose I look at some of your peers who still very much uh, remain very you know you know certain ones in in the south for example very very much. Uh, kind of southeast England slash London yeah. um, folk, uh, in terms of their in terms of their base, despite offering a national coverage. Why did you feel that that going with regional offices was something that that you needed to do? Um, I think quite simply, I think we're taking the best of yesterday and gluing it together with the best of today. Is that they, there is an insatiable demand from our clients to see commercial managers and to have 
a commercial expert sat with them at their premises, looking around their business, etc. Um, and I'm a great believer as well is of having local people in local areas. Um, so, you know, with local knowledge, um, you know, so from my point of view, it's a no brainer. Um, and um, I think, you know, we will continue to grow our business having uh, we just uh, recruited a new manager who's starting with us after Christmas in Essex that will give us a, a sort of a horseshoe around London and we'll continue to grow in the south. Um, Scotland, um, we've uh, recruited this year and we've got a manager now in Fife and that covers the the sort of uh, the east coast. Um, and we'll continue to grow Leeds, uh, Newcastle, um, Nottingham, all around the UK. Um, we'll continue to grow because you know our clients are telling us that there is a demand um to to get you know that everything the banks did for the last 40 50 60 100 years was not wrong um and what we've done now is we've brought the best of yesterday and glued together with the rest the best of um tomorrow and we provide our clients with a service a bespoke service and i guess it's a little bit like i sometimes describe our service is that uh, you or i could go into hugo boss this afternoon and get a suit uh, and it'd be a really nice suit, um, but we could also go to Savile Row and have one tailor-made now, and the tailor-made one is going to fit better, no disrespect to Boff, um, and it is going to, um, you know, it will be tailor-made to fit you like a glove, and the service that we offer is very bespoke um, and very tailor-made, and, you know, our clients, the demand from our clients post-COVID is that they want to meet my managers, they want to see the managers, uh, and they want those uh, those face-to-face -face meetings, so as long as that demand continues, uh, then, you know, we will continue to place managers around the UK with local knowledge, uh, locals speaking the local lingo, for want of a better phrase. I'm a I'm a scouser by trade. You know, it, you probably wouldn't be the cleverest thing to do to drop a few scouse managers into Manchester uh, and vice versa. So it's about having local people in local areas with local knowledge um, of both the, the geography, um, you know, the, the local culture. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et so that that's our business model. We've put a business plan in place to get us to 100 staff and 50 commercial managers over the next five years. Um, so that's in place. And uh, yeah, we will uh, we will continue to grow that model. Um, we are about to launch, which has taken forever, our app, um, which has been a big job. Uh, apparently, I'm not allowed to call it WhatsApp because I'm going to get sued. Um, <laughs> so we've got the uh, What's Commercial Finance application going live, which will allow clients who want to transact to us with a, on a mobile device the ability to do so. Um, so hopefully, we'll offer a bit of everything. We, you know, we're, we'll embrace technology, um, and we'll be able to cater for every um, client's um, desired route to market. Really. Yeah, I mean. Uh... Yeah, it, it sounds like you've got a, a very interesting growth uh, growth plan going on there. Um, and I, I think, yeah, so I mean, uh, my follow up question was going to be that around actually around uh, AI and robo broking, because <laughs> and I suppose on uh, really on the, uh, on the assumption that uh, you probably wouldn't you wouldn't agree that it would be a massive threat in the short term to your business because of the the massive demand that your uh, your managers have for face-to-face -face and real human human interaction um so uh, without asking you a question you're immediately going to answer no to um do you see a future though for 
robo broking and artificial intelligence in your business and and in the, the the broking broking sector more generally i mean i think anyone who answers i mean the danger is that whoever answers no to that question is the next blockbusters aren't they yeah so um i think the answer is that we need to i um you probably can't see it behind me but i did the oxford university fintech qualification um so i'm a great believer that you embrace technology you run with technology and um you know you ignore it at your peril um so uh, will will technology evolve and will will it change our industry over the coming 5 10 15 20 25 years yes undoubtedly it will um and i think it's a little bit like the credit crunch that you know you if you learn and you adapt and you embrace technology then there is a need for both there is a need for human interaction and there is a need for technology and I think the the firms and the, the people that you're if you're still doing these podcasts Michael in 20 years time or one of your younger colleagues is doing one in 20 years time um will brokers still exist yes I genuinely think they will uh, and it will and they will live um with, with businesses that embrace technology and have a little bit like where, where to use my phrase I used earlier um the best of yesterday and the best of tomorrow glued together yeah, I, I think um, yeah, because clearly you've you've taken a model where <clears throat> you, you're taking a model where you, you've the banks have almost outsourced a lot of that relationship management side of the business that they had into the broker network, where yeah. I suppose a, a, a lot of the time a lot uh, it's, it's a very common route to broking is someone has been like yourself a, a relationship manager in a bank for 10, 15, 20 years, however long. And then they go and and then they go and take their contacts and relationships, and then they just deploy that as a in the advisory space as opposed to working directly within the bank. Um, I, you know, for, for what it's worth, and I, I, I had um, Chris Oatway from LVN Finance on last week. Um, we had a similar conversation, and I think that it's easier to see the robo broking being more effective in a more commoditized space like the um, like the regulated residential mortgage space it's harder to see that in you know a more bespoke arena like development finance or you know business you know sort of business finance invoice finance that kind of thing um but i think it's easy as well with the less emotive products so i think you know where if i was a broker now and we were building our business on twenty thousand pound unsecured business loans mm. i think that market you know is that that's the bit where you could see ai very quickly stepping in you know, we're going to collect a new car from my wife at the weekend. You know, you look at the monthly payment, you sign on the dotted line, where are my keys? There's no emotion, is there? Yeah. But again, asset finance for vehicles and things like that. I'm looking at one of my biggest clients who's a, an Everton fan and he's, and he's a massive property developer. Um, I think there's more pictures of him in my office than there is of my wife because whenever <laughs> I sponsor Everton, he's always there. Um, but is he going to be ready right now to do a £10 million development scheme where if it all goes wrong, it takes it with him? on the stroke of a computer screen or a phone screen probably not uh, well definitely not so i think it's just a case of i think looking at the marketplace dif different markets will be exposed and will be more quickly hit by technology and ai um than others um, and part of that will be driven um one of the things in the oxford course they were talking about is the ability as to how close say a right move or somebody would be to click to purchase on our, which is an unbelievable thought, isn't it, really? But a lot of that is held back then by us. 
by the fact that we actually like the fact that a solicitor spends four or five weeks going over it before we buy a house or a commercial building or whatever to make sure that it's right. So a lot of it will be driven not only by the availability of technology, but also us as consumers as to how we get comfortable with the transaction. I also think crazily that COVID didn't really help technology. And you might think that's a crazy I, thing to say. I, OK, because, Let, let's go. Let's go. I want to hear this. Yeah, because I actually think that, yes, it, it taught us all how to use Teams and Zoom. But we all missed people, didn't we? We all missed interaction. We, we, by 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 definition, we, we like human interaction. So I actually I, I sometimes wonder whether COVID set technology back, because as soon as we were allowed to, our customers were desperate for us to go and see them again. We're desperate to go to their factory. We're desperate to go out and see them. And, you know, I've just, you know, one of my managers, I've just signed off his expenses this month and he did a thousand miles last month going all around Scotland and the highlands of Scotland going to see clients that wanted somebody to go out and sit and talk to them and help them and advise them and give them confidence and to come back with what I said earlier and wow them. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I remember just after COVID, one of my managers in, in South Wales said, I don't think we need to go and see this client. We could do it on Zoom. Now, one of my passions outside of work is, is horses. And um, I insisted that we went to see this client and we went to see this client. And when we got there, it transpired that he had one of the largest collections of horse art in the UK. Something that you would have never known on a conference, on a Zoom or a Teams call. And by the time we'd spent 45 minutes walking around looking at his art, the deal was done with the client. We didn't because we'd wowed the customer. Yeah. And then we sat down and we talked about the transaction and we did the deal. But the actual bit where he bought what's commercial and he bought us was done while we were wandering around wandering, talking about the paintings. So I, I'm, you know, don't get me wrong. I love technology. I've done my Oxford FinTech course. My wife would tell you that I'm addicted to my phone. And she's probably right. Um, but I actually, you know, I think there's a place for both. And, I, and as I say, I think COVID was great. It taught us how to do this, um, like we're doing now. Um, but I actually think it probably it probably knocked technology back a year or two in terms of uh, as consumers as, as wanting to use it. Yeah, um, I, I have a lot of sympathy for that. I, I see exactly where you're coming from. And um, it, what you're saying, the, if you, I don't know if you ever ever saw it and, I, and probably not the first time I've said this on a uh, on on the podcast, but the. The founder of Tesco, uh, Stanley Carms, he had a, a type in uh, that, that basically with the letters, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do the letters, but I'm going to say the words. His type in was effectively the, 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 the first let, the letter of, the, of, of each word. As right. you, can't do, and it's, you can't do business sitting on your ass. Uh, that, that's what it stood for. And the reality is it's get out there and, and go and see people and, and talk to them. And you know that your the example you gave there was was perfect but i think as, as much as anything else and i and i speak for you know i speak for what the the business development meetings i would have uh for overall and i'd go you'd go if you if you did that you tried to do that meeting as a zoom or a telephone call it's hi how's it going oh yeah let, t tell me about your clients what are you what's keeping you busy blah blah, blah. okay where well, what you what what you, and then they'll say, well, what's pricing? What's the products look like? OK, cool. OK, great. Uh, well, I haven't got anything like that right now, but, um, yeah, you know, I'll have a think and, and give you a call when I see you again. Whereas you go in and see them 
you, or, or even better, you sit in their offices for for half a day. Um, you're overhearing the conversations, or even if you've scheduled half an hour, an hour, an hour meeting with someone, you, you you just get to talking. And because you know, some people say it was inefficient. It's like, oh, well, you're just filling time. You know, you're just filling the allotted time with with sort of mindless chatter. But what happens in that it what happens in that hour is that you, you sort of feel like, well, right, well, I'm here, so I've got to try and find a way to make it worthwhile. And before you know it, something comes up in the conversation where one or both of the people will talk about, will start, will bring up a line of conversation that will ultimately lead to one of them benefiting. It's like, well, as I said, because you you might just mention something that you're doing or something you're working on in the background and they go, well, as it happens, we've actually got this, we've actually got that. So the thing that if the thing that if you just gone very directly with a phone call to talk about your products, using using a lender's experience you, you're probably not going to get anything from it you go and see them and you're just like oh, what you're working on what you're working on and then they say oh, what are you having difficulty with and this and the broker let's say the broker says uh, using a broker example oh i've got this this you know i've got these things going on these things and then lender says well just as, as it happens we can actually do that or we could do it like this yeah. so you know there's always there's always some benefit from uh, there's also some benefit from going and seeing people and of course um if you're only picking up the phone to someone, obviously I know you're a, a big Evertonian, um, but if you just pick up the phone to someone, you might not necessarily know that they, the, 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 the things that are interested that they're interested in. How can Let you me give you a great little example from uh, MIPIN earlier this year, because a lot of people always question, should you go to MIPIN and things like that? Uh, this is a completely non-business related, but it just sums up your point there perfectly. That um, in January next year, um, I'm trekking across the Arctic um, we're for 70 kilometers across the Arctic to raise funds for a children's cancer charity. And I met with a big firm of solicitors in um, Mippin and we were having a coffee. Um, and it, I can't remember how the conversation came round. I think I like to tell everyone that I'm going to be an Arctic warrior come January of next year. <laughs> and by the time that coffee had finished, they'd written me a check for £25,000 from a charitable trust that they had. No way. So how would I have ever... Uh, if I'd have done a Teams call, I'm not saying this, I'm a great fan of Teams and Zoom and we use it every day. But just to sum up the point there, as I say, I had a nice cup of coffee, sat in the sunshine. We were talking about business. It came across the, the Arctic trek and I left that or the charity left that cup of coffee. Even though they weren't with me, they left that cup of coffee £25,000 richer. Um, and that to me is, you know, I always remember in 1990 when, sales became fashionable one of the things that the Royal Bank of Scotland sales trainers always used to teach us was that people buy people first and whatever else second yeah a hundred percent hundred percent and yeah I'm I have sympathy for you uh you know when I go to MIPIM I'm in, in invariably inundated with uh, invites to coffees and lunches with it's with lawyers me sending them uh, to you. <laughs> um it's not with um lawyers and service providers and um yeah and, and on the face of it you're like oh god what do i need to you know what do i need to see the what do i need another lawyer for you know it, it, as specialist finance lenders we we, we are we are, we have got quite a lot of them but the the thing is you just never know what you never know what's going to come out of a meeting and, and like like you know I, i'm sure you have plenty of lawyers that, that knock on your door all the time phil and but you know if you hadn't taken that meeting yeah the charity wouldn't have been the beneficiary of that amazing donation so um 
I mean, as you as you mentioned it, um, what what prompted you to to sign up to a seventy k Arctic uh, Arctic trek? I mean, is it is it going to be actually on the you know on the Arctic? Will you be on the sort of frozen Arctic Ocean or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, what prompted it? I think. Listen, we've all been we've all been touched by cancer, haven't we? And um, my operations manager's mum passed away about 18 months ago now and um we we decided it was time to look for a new charity and um we we i guess for want of a better word interviewed a few local charities that we wanted that we were interested in working with and um the joshua tree um which is an amazing children's cancer charity based in uh, in northwich um in cheshire um we went to see them and i was quite moved when i walked in you, you mentioned the everton point a minute ago there was a photo of a little lad um, who was obviously suffering with cancer with an Everton shirt on and uh, Katie and I looked at each other and Katie said that's a signal isn't it and I went yeah so we we decided we were bowled over by the Joshua tree and we decided that we were going to support them it all probably coincided with around the time um, for those listeners on the call that have turned 50 that you start to think about mortality and uh, I thought right I need to start doing some exciting things before I'm too old so I've signed up to throw myself out of an aeroplane in Dubai and then they rang me up and said, would you like to uh, trek across the Arctic? And I've been one of these guys or girls that, you know, whenever I sit and watch one of these programs about Everest, I sit there glued because I think if there is any such thing as reincarnation next time around, I'd love to climb Everest. Um, so I guess this was my little mini Everest, an opportunity to trek 70 kilometres across the Arctic um, to raise money for an outstanding charity. And um to, to you know to create a life experience that will just be i think beyond belief so very very excited it's 21 weeks to go um i'm on a very strict diet now i'm on very strict training regime and um looking forward to raising an awful lot of money um to an amazing charity and an experience and a life experience that will be a, a once in a lifetime opportunity and and how many days is it going to take you to do the to do the 70 kilometers uh, three so three days and three nights. So wow, and and pres- well, presumably, will it be pitch black while you're doing it as well? It's not completely pitch black, but it, yeah, it will be dark. Um, and uh, yeah, no, we're just really excited about it. Really, really excited about it. So uh, and, well, we're, uh, we're going to make sure that we're going to make sure that we've got uh, a link to the charity uh, to to your kind of just giving page or whatever. So in the show notes, the industry's generosity is already giving me goosebumps now to saying to you the generosity that the industry has shown um you know just goes to show what an amazing industry the commercial finance industry is both from lenders brokers clients um you know the generosity has been amazing but that, that that would be fantastic yeah thank you so yeah, much yeah no we're, 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 del- we're, we're absolutely delighted to do it and we're seeing incredible uh, incredible cause um going back to going back to business for a moment um i'm you know yet yet another um you know yet another um business that i'm aware of or this time on the lending side um has um has, has well private very privately uh confirmed some m a activity uh on their side where i think they're being uh, sort of partially taken over um it kind of leads me to the question what's what's the end game for you with with, with what's you know what what is you know what does what does what's look like five ten years from now is it, it are you looking at are you looking at the business with with a view to 
some sort of financial exit, particularly as you kind of get towards the back end of your, you know, the back end of your 50s? Um, or or is it or is or would you be looking at going the other way where maybe you'd be interested in doing some of the some acquiring? Um, what's the what's you know, is there is there are there any any plans for for either or both uh, in the future in terms of in terms of, you know, kind of where where what ends up? Um, it's a great question. Um, I think there's a stage in your life when I think, and I use my football analogy, that when I, I sit with my dad at the football, um, when I was probably in my 20s and my 30s, I'd say to dad, how long's gone in the game? And then there comes a point in your life where you're probably at half time and you don't realise what that point is. And now when I talk to dad at the football, I ask how long's left? <laughs> um, so, and I guess life's like that as well. Um, I also judge it. I take the team every year to Marbella to say thank you for all the hard work. And I'm sort of judge it by how many more Marbella's I've got left in me. Um, and there's still plenty of Marbella's left in the tank. Um, who knows? Who knows what the future will bring? Um, I'm very, very proud of the team. Um, you know, as I was saying now, I'm just, I'm the idiot that steers the ship. The team, the managers, the assistants, everybody, you know, right down to our, our, our apprentice who started, Matthew. They're the guys and girls that power the business. Um, I love it. I'm very, very lucky now that I put myself into the same bracket as perhaps a pop star or a footballer. I get to do my hobby for a job and I love what I do. Um, and I still bounce out of bed. Everyone was asking me yesterday because I'm coming back from Mykonos on holiday and, oh, God, you know, back to work tomorrow. I'm like, I can't wait. Um, you know, I'm excited to get in. I'm excited to see what the team have done. I'm excited about today and this this interview. So who knows what the future will bring? Um, we've got some amazing talent. Um, we've actually gone live or we've gone public today that with the help of Dale Carnegie, we've launched our Leadership Academy. Um, and we've got our first four um, students going through that for the next 18 months. It's an 18 month university style qualification that we've got the first four going through. We've already got four people registered for next year. So we're creating leaders of the future. Um, who knows? I've got no desire to be sat on a beach right now. Um, I quite envy Henry Moser at together. He's still what now in his, his, his mid 70s and he's still there every day doing deals um, and smoking his cigar. So, hey, if I could be a little Henry in 10 or 15 years, that wouldn't be too bad. Um, so <clears throat> I, let's see how things go. Um, I'm very, very proud of the team. It's my baby. My, my, my baby is just about to become, you know, an adult. Um, and it's interesting to see the journey. Um, I think Katie Barlow, who's my head of operations, is an outstanding, uh, an outstanding um, lady in the in the in the commercial finance world, and you know will undoubtedly play a massive part in the future of the business. Uh, I've got a number of other people who are very, very, very talented, um, who will play a part in the future of the business. Um, not quite sure I'm ready to be chairman because I, I think that makes me sound fat and old, and. Uh, I guess at 52, I'm, am I old? I don't know. But with all this Arctic training, I'm certainly a lot less fat than I was. Um, so who knows what the future will hold? It's certainly a very exciting time. Um, I'm very excited about getting us to 100 staff. I'm very excited about helping develop some individuals um, for the future. There has to be life after Phil. Um, but quite now, at this moment in time, what does life after Phil look like? I'm not too sure. Um, but I've certainly got eight or nine more Marbella's in me uh, with the team having fun 
um, and, um, you know, making sharing the love with the team and, um, you know, making their lives um, fantastic and, um, you know, create continuing the journey. Well, uh, well, that that's uh, that that sounds to me like you're uh, you, you're you're enjoying it too much to sort of look at look at exiting um but may but maybe uh, some of uh, some of your smaller competitors maybe watch out maybe the 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 shark is the shark has got an appetite um it, in terms of in terms of commercial partnerships with um you know with, with adjacent uh, adjacent businesses or adjacent industries obviously i mean on an M&A theme uh, obviously we saw uh, mantra being acquired by a, uh, an accountancy business. We've seen um, SPF and Howden's get together. Um, we've you've seen Adapt and uh, Advantage, the building uh, building warranties uh, business kind of, I suppose, joint venture uh, for yeah. want of a better expression. Um, clearly, there's you know cl- clearly there's there there are you know there, there is a sort of two plus two equals five quality to to to, to having expanded networks do you you know is that something you know are, you, are there adjacent sectors that you're exploring partnerships with um and looking or you'd be interested to explore partnerships ships with to help help you and your clients grow and and benefit um or or are you quite happy to continue to focus on how you've been operating up to now i think probably the, the flippant answer to the question is both um you know never say never to explore and opportunities and avenues um you know uh, we are constantly working on new relationships um with lenders third parties etc to grow the business um and so yeah i mean i think from that point of view i think you know i'm always very i was you know i've, I've already mentioned blockbusters once and i don't want their solicitors to be on the phone suing me but at, you know at the end at the, at the end of the day every opportunity is an opportunity and you know whenever we're whenever we are approached i mean i guess you very kindly described me as a titan at the beginning of this call. I think Watts is the titan or Watts Commercial is the titan in the industry. And that name, that brand now means that it exposes us to a lot more opportunity than we ever got sort of 10 years ago. And I'm always very excited and very open um, when we're approached um, by, with opportunities to see how it can benefit the company, how it can benefit our clients, and most importantly, how it can benefit my team. So, yeah, I, I think. Um, you know, any opportunity is potentially a good opportunity and that, you know, they'll always be considered, um, I guess, because at what's commercial, I'm dad. Um, whenever I consider an opportunity, it's I have to look at it as dad as to how that impacts the family, how that impacts the business and um, how that impacts the, 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 the work family and the work children that I have here um, to make sure that they've got a successful future ahead of them. Um, and that we've got a business that's sustainable because again, there's no point sticking your head in the sand and um, you know you need it, you need to build a model which is sustainable and that you know my biggest my biggest desire or my biggest hope is that with my leadership over the coming years is that you know 15, 20 years from now, um, whoever is the CEO or whatever their title is of what's commercial finance is in is on is being interviewed um, on a podcast um, you know with a business which is you know a shining light in the industry yeah well I, I obviously hope hope that continues to to happen for you and on a, on a similar note we've seen some lenders turn, some brokers turn their hand hands to to lending um 
you know, I, I you know, I, it's on the face of it, it's hard to see whether, you know, whether that's a conflict, whether that's not a conflict of interest uh, or not. But what if, uh, I mean, because as I say, it would. My initial impression when I asked the question is that you would answer it that way, because I think that, you you know, that I've done it. That... We, 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 we tried, you know, we launched what's commercial, what's bridging finance. God, I lose track of years now. Um, it's very difficult because it depends what sort of broker you are here at what's commercial finance. We we our total and utter um, focus is on providing the right solution to the clients, irrelevant of what we get paid irrelevant in anything as long as the, the client gets the best solution very very difficult then if you launch your we, we launched what's bridging just as the rate race to the bottom started in terms of bridging costs i remember when we launched what's commercial in 2006 2007 that you know you could sell bridging at 18 percent like you know you were giving sweets to kids um and then of course the race to the bottom began on interest rates and the cheaper and it became cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and because of the way that we operate here at Watts is that very difficult if you are a broker and a lender, because to do the job properly, you can only ever re recommend your product if your product is genuinely the best solution for the client. So it's not for me. Um, that's probably, you know, I've answered yes to all of the other questions in terms of the future and opportunities and opp opportunities to join forces with other industries to bring other opportunities to the table 100% yes I personally am not a fan of being a broker and a lender because I just it doesn't sit comfortably with me especially having done it um because you know I always used to look at it and go if I can get a better bridge than I can offer then I can't offer my product and you know the markets are very fat so unless you've got deep enough pockets that you can make your product better than anybody else's or create a USP that's better than anyone else's, you know, it, it is a conflict of interest in my in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I completely I completely see that side of it, and um, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, the certainly pre the big rise in interest rates, there's a huge amount of a huge wall of money that's been chasing after the specialist finance market, and so it's you know i'm sure large brokerages like yourselves would be inundated with calls from these funds saying listen would you be interested in if we gave you a line would you be interested to deploy it um and you know and people will continually probably be seduced by that but i agree with your 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 point of view which is that you know how how can you as a broker be objective how can the people that come to you really trust you if you you know if in the back of their minds they're they're like well but am i really getting the best product here if they're recommending their own uh their own product um so yeah that that's that's an interesting one for me um in terms of you know obviously we talk just going rewinding a little bit back to early in the conversation we're talking about um you know some of the departments at the moment are suffering a bit more because of the the interest rate rises um how do you how do you keep them how do you keep the, those teams motivated um and how do you you know and 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 potentially even stop them being completely demoralized because of let's call it a collapse in a, colla a collapse in transaction volumes um that off a, a lot of ways driven by the fact that the the financial models that worked previously in vitalet don't anymore because interest coverage ratios for one thing um 
blown out of the water because the yields versus the, the the cost of funds doesn't is mismatched. Um, blimey, Michael, you should get a job for the BBC or ITV because there was some very uh, emotive words there in terms of collapse, etc. I don't think anything's collapsed. I, I think um, I, 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 maybe a bit overdramatic. Let's yeah, let's, yeah. let's 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 put the context you're, you're, on it. You're Phil. enjoying this role as a as a as a, a the, the next Michael Parkinson. Um, I think um, I, I, listen, I, I'm very very lucky that every day, you know, we always align ourselves or we always think about you know, coming back to football that. We'd like to think that we're the Real Madrid of what we do. And every day I drive into the, the Bernabeu and I look in the changing room and I look at the greatest footballers in the world who just happened in this instance to do commercial broking. Um, so I'm blessed with a team of Galacticos. Um, so the answer to that question is that, you know, when, when one area dips a little bit, uh, we rally, uh, we support and, you know, we, we, we adapt. And um, so there hasn't been a problem. Um, yes, okay, last September there was that initial drop, um, but managers have realigned, they've gone back to their brokers, they've grafted, uh, they've worked, um, and yeah, I, we don't have a problem with, with morale. Um, you know, it's about looking after your people, looking after your family. Um, you know, I remember a few years ago, one of my managers had a really tough time outside of work. So I cancelled his target for the year. Um, he came through the other side and he's now absolutely flying. So listen, we're a team. Uh, we, we, I think the phrase I've used in the past is we win together, we lose together, we laugh together and we cry together. But both either way, we come over the other, we come through the winning line together. So we haven't had any problems. Um, nothing has, has collapsed to that stage. Um, yeah, OK, some managers... Uh, might might not be spending quite as much on holidays this year that they perhaps did last year but that's a temporary fix and you know it's um you know the interest with, with the world the way it is right now with you know commercial mortgages because of covid and working from home and stuff you know the commercial mortgage market's drifted out to five months to complete a deal which is ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and the industry needs to grab hold of that and sort it but therefore because it has drifted out to five months if you look at commercial mortgages it's a little bit like being captain of the QE2. You can't change it on a sixpence. So you need to re you need to reinvent yourself, work hard, and five, six, seven months later, you'll see the QE2. You'll see the ship starting to turn, and and that's where the managers are now. The the managers that had some interest rate blips last year are you know flying again this year, and uh, no problem at all in that department. But that's because I have to say I am blessed by you know I've got some of the greatest footballers in the world. Uh, doing commercial finance for me. Well, clearly, you, clearly, you've, you've um, you know, you've built a great team, and, and that makes that does make a big difference. How do you see? I mean, how do you see the the sort of this phase of the cycle playing out? I mean, do you think that this is going to be? Do you see the environment quite similar to? I'm talking about the economic environment here. Uh, you know, and I suppose property market is part of that. Do you see that playing out similarly to the early 90s? Obviously, um, you were relatively young at the time, but you, I'm sure you remember how uh, remember what it was like. Or do you do you see a slightly different scenario playing out over the next 18, 24 months? Obviously, we don't have a crystal ball, but you know yeah. you've you've got the benefit of experience, and those of us who who are maybe too young to remember that. I don't think I'm quite that old. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do do I remember the 90s? I do remember standing in the banking hall, giving out selling credit cards, and then I was one of the very first or the second tranche of customer advisors at Royal Bank of Scotland. So I was probably 
a little immune to it, if I'm brutally honest. Yeah. I mean, my the, the earliest memories for me of of big uh, upheaval will be the credit crunch. Um, mm. So, you know, how do I see it playing out? Um, I think it's very difficult unless you start. Being, I think it's. I think the government have been quite political to leave the Bank of England to do what they've done with interest rates. I think there might be some pedology in there that when we do again get into a recession, there's some argument that perhaps it wasn't the government's fault, it was the Bank of England's fault, but who knows? Never talk about football, politics or religion. Um, I think it will be interesting to see. I think the the any recession is currently masked by there is still an awful lot of the public on um, low long term historic low interest rate fixed rates. It will be interesting to see if interest rates remain high as people come out of those fixed rates, what impact that has on the on the economy and whether that help whether that leads us more into a recession. Um, I think one of the interesting things we're seeing on the commercial side of things is commercial clients are just keeping on because we're going to have a recession. We're going to have a sorry, not a recession. We're going to have a general election, aren't we, next year or early 2025? Do we wait till that? What will there be in 2025? What will there be in 2026? You could end up sitting going, I'll just hang fire. For when? You know, what? what is normal? Where, you know, yes, we all sit here going, wouldn't it be nice to have two or three years where nothing happens? Yeah, of course it would. But when is that going to happen? Because as I say, who knows what's how the Ukraine is and Russia's going to continue? Who knows what's going to happen? We have a general election. Who knows what, we're gonna, you know, we have a change of government or whatever. There's all these different things. So I think one of the nice things that we've seen, and we, and we saw this through COVID, um, through COVID, um, news at 10 and and ITV and BBC didn't want to talk about it, but we actually grew our business through COVID. And that wasn't doing sibbles and bibbles and, and government loans. It was lending to customers that just needed to get on. Now, yeah. the, the, the newspapers didn't want to talk to them because it didn't scare people to stay in at home. So they weren't making loads of money out of it by selling face masks with a picture of your dog on or scented hand wash. And they weren't losing money because they were in the, the leisure industry or whatever. They were just normal businesses going, carrying on with work. So we grew the business through COVID, lending to normal clients wanting normal things. And those normal clients wanting normal things are still there today. And interest rates going up is just the cost of business. Well, you could argue electric's not on the way down now and oil's on the way down. So whilst interest rates have gone up, they're paying a little bit more there, but they're saving money on, on, on electric and, and on fuel and things like that. So I think... Um, there's a danger we're very, very good at this in this country at talking ourselves into trouble. And I think, you know, keep calm, carry on, um, do what you do to the best of your ability, influence what you can influence and, you know, what will be and how it plays out over the next 18 months will play out. Um, part of me thinks interest rates may come down quicker, depending on how quickly a recession arrives and how severe that recession is. But you made a great point a few minutes ago as to well we haven't got that crystal ball so um who knows yeah uh, i mean i i yeah uh, for what it's worth i think we probably will see interest rates coming down sooner because i think that probably um the the interest rates will start to bite quite hard soon on on the consumer uh, and and that will feed through um and obviously you know you, you you want that you want the landing to be as soft as possible uh, but as we said we don't we don't have the crystal ball so we'll we'll have to wait and see um okay well let, let's let's um as we sort of start to wind down um just ask a few sort of more personal questions uh, about you yourself 
Um, you mentioned your dad, who, uh, yeah, who, 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 like yourself, is a long-suffering Evertonian. Uh, what uh, I, I speak, I, I speak with, I say that with affection, as my uh, stepfather uh, was an Evertonian, and uh, and it, my first ever game of football was uh, was at, at Goodison Park in 1987. Um, so, but you know, you, you talk about your dad, who you know, who, you know, which people uh, either kind of past past or present um whether you know them or not kind of inspire you uh and you know and and motivate you okay um two i guess uh dad dad's my hero um you know i was very lucky that you know i i, I was brought up uh in a an idyllic childhood where you know uh, i had a fantastic i've still got a fantastic mum and dad they brought me up very well and you know i had a lovely childhood and you know, I aspired to be dad or to 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 walk in dad's foot in dad, dad's shadow. Um, so he's my hero. That that I got asked that question years ago at school, and some of the other kids were saying like Kenny Daglish and things like that. And then the teacher had a look of shock horror on when I went, my dad. Um, so I'd still answer that question to this day. Um, who inspires me in our industry? I've already mentioned him once today, but we Chris Bagley together. Um, uh, he's. I mean, I'm very very lucky now to call him. You know, one of my very, very, very closest friends in the world outside of work, but uh, he'll blush when he listens to this. But he inspires me. If there was somebody in the industry today that I aspire, aspired to be like, it would be Chris. Um, so I guess the answer's twofold. I guess Dad and Chris, but Dad's my ultimate hero. Um, and will, you know, even to this stage, um, if I need to make a big decision, um, even though Dad's 76 now and long retired, I'll always ring dad. Um, so, uh, yeah, dad would be the person who inspires me and motivates me to succeed because, you know, once a year, we're very lucky that we get to sponsor Everton. And, you know, dad always puts his hand on my knee and you can see a tear in his eye when he says, I'm so proud of you. And um, nothing else matters, really. Are you excited? Are you excited when you're going to get to sponsor the game at the new stadium? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are very lucky as well because... Uh, my dad's got an aneurysm in his leg now and Everton has been great and um, there's only going to be a handful of car park spaces at the new stadium, but they've got us one um, so that that and some seats uh, on a very low level uh, where dad will be able to get into the stadium. And my one, my one thing now is to get my hero to Bramley Moor when it opens. So I did jokingly say to him when I gave him the ticket to Christmas, do me a favour, don't die. Um, because... Uh, my one ambition now is to get dad to the new stadium and to sit and watch a game with dad at the new stadium. So that 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 will be uh, that will be a special moment uh, over the coming year or two. And uh, presumably, when uh, the last game at Goodison Park, will you be will you be getting the uh, getting an angle grinder out to get to to saw off your seat? I've already the... made it very clear to Everton, and my wife has already authorised that when I get the uh, dad and I seats, that they can be attached to one of the fences in one of our paddocks. At home, so I can sit and watch the horses sat on my uh, my Everton chip, my Everton seat, and I would imagine there'll be a few copites now listening, saying, "Well, I'll have seen a few donkeys in my time sat on those <laughs> seats." So uh, I, I thought I'd just get that joke in there before they say it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, yeah. Hopefully, you're not talking about Duncan Ferguson, otherwise. No, no, uh, he's my no, my all-time hero. I've got his signed shirt over there. So yeah, well, uh, uh, there's a lot of love for Big, big Dunk, isn't there? Um, <laughs> Yeah, and in terms of your other hobbies, I mean, you 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 mentioned you mentioned the horses and uh, and traveling as well. I mean, 
Well, how uh, do you own horses or uh, do you own, own horses to race them or, or do you just have them as a sort of passion, passion, passion uh, project? It's show jumping, crazily. Um, for those people okay. who know me, I'm not a show jumper. I'm too big and I'm too fat and I'm too tall. Um, but show jumping. So, yeah, we've got three competition horses that show jump. And then we've got two retired uh, horses at home who just basically live the life of Riley. Um, so, yeah, horses outside of the world, outside of work is... And I always think they're quite good because after having a week of talking to people and things, it's quite nice to stand in the field with the horses and they don't talk back. Um, and yeah, so that travel, Alison and I enjoy traveling all around the world. And uh, But we've also got a little place in North Wales, which is where probably our heart is. So we spend a lot of time there and just family and the normal things. I think sometimes, you know, people, uh, I think with social media and things now, people create a rock star image of people in their head. Um, my life's probably not quite as rock star as some people would want to believe. Um, but no, uh, enjoy spending time at home on the farm. Love being with the horses, love being with our dogs, love being with my wife. I probably should have done that in a different order, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and, and spending time in North Wales um, down by the sea, walking the dogs on the beach. Uh, the best things in life are free and uh, walking the dogs along the beach in the morning um, is is probably uh, my favourite thing. So uh yeah, no, we have a great life. Um, the commercial world and the commercial broken world has has created that life. So I'm very lucky, very fortunate. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's nice to be able to have a break from work and go and enjoy some nice things. Well, uh, that sounds pretty idyllic to me as well as a as a fellow dog owner. The the horses I, I leave to my sister in law, uh, but uh, the, the, they don't love me quite so much. But uh, that, that sounds pretty good otherwise. Um, and just just wrapping up, I suppose, you know, if you were to cast your mind back to when you were sort of 17, 18, um, if you were, you know, if you were to give yourself some self-talk um, to, to the person you were back then, is there any advice or guidance you'd give yourself? You know, is there anything you uh, that if you could do things differently, you might you might advise your younger self to to do? Um probably outside of work don't fall in love so easily um but inside of work um do you know what it's hard isn't it because you you learn as from your mistakes you learn in life you learn through the people that you meet um yeah i mean i you know i i don't think i've got any regrets i i think you know difficult one really no i think there's this silly little things, isn't there? But, you know, I'd love to say, yeah, I, I'd, have, I'd have set up as a broker 10 years earlier. Um, but hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, and you don't get the benefit of hindsight. You know, I've had amazing 52 years or 51 years. I need to stop telling them I'm 52 because I've got another few months left of being 51. I've had an amazing 51 years. I've had some amazing life experience both inside and out. I'm very, very proud of what we've achieved as a team here at Watts Commercial. It's not me, it's everyone that's achieved it. I'm just the guy that gets to go on the stage and collect the gongs and different things. But um, no, I, don't, I think, um, you know, life's to be lived and you learn by you, the journey. Um, you know, life is a journey, not a destination. Um, I've had a very col colourful and fun journey. And, you know, long may that journey continue. Well, I for one can can agree with that, and uh, want to want to say thank you for coming and 
coming onto the show and joining us. Um, You're very welcome. I, I think the the listeners will will have very much appreciated everything you have to say, uh, and you obviously spoken very well. Um, again, uh, link to the sh- link in the show notes t- will come uh, for uh, the, your charitable endeavour. Um, oh, thank you. I, I'm uh, having done fairly epic uh, charitable raise last year, riding the length of Portugal. Um, I'm both uh, I'm, I'm both slightly in, in awe of what you're doing because it looks quite scary, but also sli- quite slightly jealous because um, when you're actually in the in the middle of doing it, uh, and I think particularly as you're in the home straight on these very difficult challenges, I think you're going to um, uh, the feeling of elation that you get um, is 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 really quite something. So um, you know, hats off to you. For our listeners, how can they get a hold of you, Phil, if they want to get in touch? Um, what, what's the best way of reaching out? Um, I guess. Um, well, I'm sort of uh, I'm, I'm 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 on LinkedIn, but if anyone wants to drop me an email, it's Phil at whats-commercial.co.uk. I'd be delighted to take any uh, any messages or emails, etc. And you know, always uh, happy to uh, you know to have a chat. Well, Phil, thank you again for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, hope hope to have you on again soon. Look forward to see it. Look forward to it. Thanks very much. A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down. Visit www.avonmorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.